When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And I was usually in some small form of a rage in 1968 and 69 over being screwed over by record companies. And if I had had my way, I would have gone in and taken their heads because they were lying sons of bitches. I'd be in basements, you know, singing at anti-war rallies and uh, there'd be FBI all over the place. And I was fascinated with this, you know, I was just on this journey, and it was music, and it was politics, and that really is what American Pie is about. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, this week, I'm joined by Don McLean, a man whose American Pie single has become almost a part of the fabric of America. In fact, it was named as one of the five greatest songs of the 20th century by the Recording Industry Association of America. The song entered the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2003, with Don himself being inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2004. Now, his songs have been covered by such a wide and diverse array of artists, from Elvis Presley to Madonna, Perry Como to current superstar Drake, while rapper Tupac cited his love for Don's song Vincent. His song Tapestry was the inspiration behind the launch of the environmental group Greenpeace and the Royals, Harry and Meghan Markle. Uh, 
I don't know if they are royals anymore. Hard to keep up with. Anyway,、uh, they used his song "And I Love You So" as the theme for their wedding as well. Crikey! Now he's had a number of controversies in the past, and he is the first to admit that, saying in the interview that he's、uh, not a people person. He's a loner. He doesn't like small talk. But the interview is because it's the 50th anniversary of that smash hit "American Pie," the single and the album. Now, when I told my nine-year-old son and my 12-year-old daughter that I was interviewing the man who sang "American Pie." They started singing the song. It's one of them things that just everybody knows. And as you'd expect from Don in this interview, he's very honest and says it how it is indeed. So as always, I'm looking forward to you hearing it. But quickly, some hellos and some shoutouts first. With Don being on this week's show, the main topic of conversation on the Vintage Rock Pod social media this week was about people's favourite songs that have "America" in the title. Now, there's certainly plenty of those to choose from, isn't there? James Bosch went for "American Girl" by Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers, great song. Dave Alcock offered up David Bowie's "Young Americans," which Jack on Twitter agreed with. Eighties Rewind again went for the Proclaimers with a letter from America.、Uh, Joseph K. He put forward an interesting choice from the Sylvester Stallone movie Cobra, the song "Voice of America's Sons" by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band.、Uh, Joey Michaud offered up Pink. Houses by John Cougar Mellencamp, which, although America isn't strictly in the title, it's certainly repeated enough times in the chorus, isn't it? Play that rock and roll podcast on Twitter said、uh, Boston's Corporate America, which, if I'm honest, I don't think I've ever heard, so I'm gonna have to check that one out.、Uh, Judy Hoffman went for the band America, Horse with No Name, classic, and the ELO song Calling America. While Kevin Williams on Twitter went for something fairly new, really, a new band Razorlight with their song America. As always, a big thank you to everyone who got in touch this week. Definitely worth checking out the social media channels. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Get involved with the stuff, and I'll give you a readout on next week's program. So back to today's big interview. Then Don McLean. As I said, it's the 50th anniversary of American Pie, and there's a world tour to back this up. So that is the main topic of conversation surrounding the song and the album and all the kind of stuff that that entails, as you'd expect. But it does wander into very many different areas, including new material being watched by the FBI, those early days, and his family lineage, which traces back to not far away from where I am, to be honest with you. So here you go. Please enjoy this interview with. Don McLean. I'm delighted to be joined by the legendary artist Don McLean, who's here to talk about his special 50th anniversary of the iconic song "American Pie." And you're going to be marking this with a special world tour as well. But before we get to that, I just want to touch on your name. Now, McLean, I live in the Highlands of Scotland, and、uh, with a name like that, do you have Scottish connections yourself? Yes,、uh, my father's family directly connected.、Um... It's an interesting story. They were,、uh, you might say,、um, early Americans.、Uh, I have great grandparents named,、uh, you know, George Washington McLean, and、uh, so、uh, you know, John McLean was one of the first、uh, military people that came over. In the, I guess he was in the British Army.、Um, So I go, yeah, on that side of my family, I'm quite solid gold there, going back to.、Uh, Iona Island, actually,、uh, I think, is where the、um, House of Duart is,、uh, and my cousin and his father were, and are big uh, family um, historians. And、um, the funny thing was that I went to a high school called Iona, and they、yeah. came to me and they said, "You know, <laughs> your family comes from 
the Isle of Iona. And do you have a, could we use your tartan uh, for uh, something? I said, sure. I had a tie, actually. I had a few. I, when I was very young, I used to wear a, a, I used to wear a McLean plaid tie when I wore, when I sang. Can you believe that? Oh, 1964, 1963. I had these McLean plaid ties, um, and I still have a big bunch of McLean plaid we use under the Christmas tree. Um, yeah, so I the, the school then used that, and I went to Iona College also. So I'm <laughs> very connected that way. <laughs> Indeed, interesting stuff. Now, as we said, it's the 50th anniversary of, uh, of American Pie. Now, before we mention that, I just want to touch on just before then, because obviously Tapestry came out first. That was your debut album, and it has such a, a strong legacy too. I mean, one of the songs being recorded by Perry Como, which was a huge hit here in the UK, and Elvis did too. And then there's the connections with Greenpeace, and then you've got the connections with the, the current British royal family as well have all stemmed from one album. But just touching on the fact that you were with uh, Medi Artists at that point, but then the, the label were going through a turbulent time and they were going to go under, basically. They were going to go bust, but then they were taken up by United Artists. How did you feel at that stage then? Because it had taken a little while, hadn't it, for uh, you to sign a, a record label to begin with, and then you've got this first album out and then it looked like it was going a bit shaky. How did you feel at that time? Well, I'm, a, I'm an outsider, you know. I've never been... Uh, first of all, I'm I'm not good with relationships. My father was a loner. I am a loner. Um, what was happening was that you talk about being Scottish. I was going to do this and I had my Scottish sword was drawn <laughs> and nothing was going to stop me. And I was usually in some small form of a rage in 1968 and 69 over being screwed over by record companies. Um, and if I had had my way, I would have gone in and taken their heads because they were lying sons of bitches and they were playing with me and I didn't like it. And I was very angry. And um, so I realized who I really was when I was out there because I had dropped out, basically. I had gone to college. I did that basically for my father. I remember when I got my degree, the only thing my father wanted was for me to go to college. And he died when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I got the degree, I just remember I was in my black outfit, you know, and I had the plaque in my hand. I looked up at the sky. I said, well, Dad, I did it for you. And then after that, I went up and sang with Pete Seeger, who was a big communist and who I adored. And uh, that was where all the creativity began. You know, I was in around people who were free thinking and who were uh, questioning things. And we were delving into so many areas and it was just wonderful education for me. It lasted for years and years. And um, I wrote all my best songs really in that time period because they were commercial and they were also political in some sense, but not entirely. So Anyway, the Tapestry album was a mixture and it was the footprint, basically. I hate that word, but it was the uh, the template, really, for every album that I would make afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know, I would have rock and roll on there. I would have strings. I would have solo things. I would have... Uh, that was the, the, the way all the albums afterwards, um, they were produced... But they never were like overproduced, you know, where yeah. every song had all this stuff on them, you know. So, but it was, that album, Tapestry, is the most important record I ever made. Nobody, nothing comes close to it. 
People don't realize that because they always talk about American Pie all the time, which is also an extremely important record. Um, but when the record company failed, I had I had done Amer- American Pie was almost in the can, okay. ready for them to come out with. And had they done so, they would have survived. Instead, United Artists moved in, and they were a terrible record company uh, in those days. They they were just an arm for the great behemoth corporate um, giant United Artists. They own United Artists own movie theaters. They own they had a movie company, of course, major movie producer. They had record stores. Nothing was arm length, arm's length. They I guess they stole from everybody, and they put out. Um, movie soundtrack album so that's where my and that's the last place on earth i ever wanted to be because i was in love with records you know and i was in love with them and i wanted to be on any label that had a you know a beautiful history or a, mm-hmm. you know some sort of artistic in and, and, and united artists was just the opposite of of everything you know little did i realize that um I was, when they got American Pie and they had this big hit with it, they got the money to now finance a new record label, UA, which did become a big, successful record label. All of Kenny Rogers' hits were on United Artists. So I probably should have stood around, stayed there, instead of going to EMI and doing some other things that we did because they... They did what they started out to do. And then in terms of American Pie, then, as we said, it's the 50th anniversary. It's, it's an incredible song. It's it's a top five songs of the 20th century in, in America. It's been named and various other awards and accolades. And it really has become a part of, of American culture itself. Now, in terms of, of writing, I mean, did you ever get to the stage? Because it's a long song. It's famously eight and a half minutes. Did you ever get to the stage where you thought maybe it's too long when you were in the, the writing and, and production stage? Never. <laughs> No, I was most, I'm interested in the English language and telling a story or writing a poem or whatever. I have no interest in whether or not it's long or short. I, I would say that the Dylan and the Beatles and that were doing longer and longer things, you know, and especially Dylan. I mean, he was always doing these long things. So I didn't feel like there was any uh, that I was uh, in the forefront of anything new. I mean, it had already been done a lot. And even on a commercial level, MacArthur Park and some of these songs. Um, and there was also a willingness on the part of the audience back in that time period uh, to understand uh, impressionistic lyrics, A Day in the Life. MacArthur Park is a good example of that too, where things don't exactly make perfect sense, you know, that there was this whole addition of LSD and drugs into everything. So there was a drug chic of some sort in the songwriting. There was a desire to make songs, songwriting seem like they were affected by drugs in some way and make that a drug experience almost. And um, people forget that, you know, that that was a big thing that separated a song like A Day in the Life and Sgt. Pepper from everything that came before, and it influenced me. And American Pie is that also. You know, I was trying to do with words and with a beautiful melody and with rock and roll what the Beatles did with strings and a massive 
London Symphony Orchestra, which I just love all that stuff. You know, I really do. Hmm. I always wanted to work with, with George Martin and I came close, but I had a very bad manager. And anybody who came near me who might influence me, he was sure to try to ruin that relationship so that I couldn't do that and I would stay around him. Uh, a bit of the colonel, you know, going on there. Um, <laughs> but that's a long story. It's another story. But um, I always wanted to be in this. Because George Moore, I did things. I had fragments of songs that I knew were sensational. I just didn't know how to make them that way. He could have done that. You know, because you listen to the White Album, there's so many little parts and pieces and things that they blew up into wonderful songs and everything else. So yes. He was always there to help them take their creative ideas, whether they were fully realized or only partially realized, and make them into something that was, and there's nothing like a great producer who can surprise you. You think, oh my God, that's so beautiful, you know, and I, <laughs> and, you know, I would never would have thought of that or I w wouldn't have done that. And I, I never had that. I had, I was close. I had some very good producers, but I never had that. And in terms of the, the song itself, you talk about liking it, well, loving the English language and, and poetry and things like that. And American Pie is almost a, a well, it is a beautifully written poem in, in, a, in effect. Now, it's, it's, it's autobiographical. I mean, is the, the, the paper boy Well, American Pie is about me. You know, I was the paper boy. Yep. And then and that's the interesting thing about this movie that we're making is you're going to follow the paper boy through his uh, development and my discovery of music and my discovery of so much in my journey, because I, if you listen to Castles in the Air, that's, that's the real song on tapestry about my life. I turned my back on middle-class uh, comfort and security and decided that I wanted to make my life as a rambler and a singer and uh, didn't want to be in the cocktail generation. <laughs> you know, I, I really, don't don't like small talk, you know, and sitting around. And um, now I'm back so happy now. I have a great girlfriend and I travel the world and we, she doesn't like small talk either. So we're really good on that score. Um, <laughs> and, um, but the, the thing I want to tell you, and I can tell you this and you'll really appreciate this. Pete Seeger was probably one of my favorite people that I ever knew. And now I had disagreements with him and I did not like his anti-Americanism or his communism. Uh, and there's a lot of parts of that that you're seeing now with this invasion and everything. I don't know what side of that he would be on, but he, he'd be very careful because he'd have everybody against him if he wasn't against Putin right now. But um, he was a folklorist. His father was a folklorist. His father was Charles Seeger, and he was one of these eminent Harvard guys, you know, with his nose up and a beard and always, uh, you know, with writing things down. He was like Professor Higgins, you know, and brilliant. And Seeger was from that whole genre. There were intellectuals. They were folk-based. They loved the folk ways of America. So he knew a lot of things. And he told me once he was sitting around, I was lucky enough to know him for about seven years. It was late at night. He had a cabin and I was at the cabin and um, he was having a little wine. He never drank. He was very uh, stoic. He was almost, you know, like a, a Puritan of some sort. But he would get a little, he was the sweetest 
drunk in the world if he got high. You know, he's a lovely person. And he says, uh, you know, Don, he said, um, your mother comes from Abruzzi and your father comes from the Isle of Iona. He said, do you know all the great Scottish poets come from Iona? And do you know all the most beautiful Italian melodies come from Abruzzi? <laughs> and, you know, because I have this gift. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I have this gift. I, I know what beautiful melodies are. I just know them. And I know what, I, 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 it's endless, this creative well of, and then I, I am a, you know, I love poetry and I, and, I, and I know how to use language. I'm no good at French or German and I took it in high school. I couldn't get past. I don't want any other <laughs> words in my head, just English words. So I thought you'd like that story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic. I love the fact that you're talking about the, the language and things like that and the fact that it, it all kind of transcends as well. And, and your music and the melodies that you create does transcend because obviously you've been covered by so many different artists from different genres, famously. We've already mentioned Perry Como and Elvis Presley, but then there's the likes of Madonna and, and Tupac Loves Vincent and, and all this sort of stuff. I mean, it's just incredible how your music writing kind of transcends everything. But you have to study, you have to learn, you know, you have to discipline yourself in order to, um, I mean, I'm not a smart guy. I'm not, a, I, I'm a sort of an idiot in a way, you know, I kind of have things coming on my head and the other time I'll do something, you know, I'm, I'm a savant of some sort. I'm not, I couldn't, I couldn't win at Jeopardy. I can't win at Scrabble. I don't, <laughs> I don't play games, you know, but I have these notions that come to me. And these ideas that come to me, and I know exactly what to do. And, and I knew exactly where I was going when I started in 1968. I had to be on the Hudson River with Pete Seeger. I had to be in the middle of this whole thing that was going on. And I was with him, and this was when the anti-war thing. And he was always um, being watched by the FBI constantly. So they were watching me, too. I'd be in basements, you know, singing at anti-war rallies and uh, there'd be FBI all over the place. And uh, I was fascinated with this. You know, I was just on this journey and it was music and it was politics. And that really is what American Pie is about, is that music and politics somehow influence each other moving forward. That was this notion that I had for this one really great big idea that I had about writing a song about my country, America. It was not This Land Is Your Land. It was not, you know, any of these other kinds of songs. It was a uh, dream and it was a mystery tour yeah. of some sort. 
And once you'd written it and you'd, you'd got it down and things like that, is it one of those that you knew as soon as you heard it back that it was going to be a hit? Did you realize how big it was going to be? I never had a hit before, so I didn't really know what a hit was. The hits were for the Beatles and for, um, you know, other people. I, I wasn't, I wasn't in that part of show business. All I wanted to do was make albums. I wanted to make beautiful albums like Tapestry. And I didn't care who put them out, you know, and I knew there were people. I mean, I mean, Pete Seeger put 50 albums out on Folkways Records and nobody ever bought, but they were fabulous. You know, the Gazette and uh, all these different songs, um, Sodbuster ballads. Oh, Lord, I learned so much about about history and about um, music and uh, about working people. This is the wonderful thing about folk music is that it's, it's not enter entertainment as such. It was, it was made into entertainment, starting, of course, with the Kingston Trio, who were brilliant, wonderful performers, who I love, the early group. It's just, those records are wonderful. And they they mainlined basically this stuff and uh, into the younger generation that later became the 60s generation that marched in the streets and made changes. But folk music was not entertainment. It could be, but it was, you know, work songs and ballads about cowboys and logging songs and <laughs> um, protest music, you know, and uh, the interesting thing is that in folk music, the things would evolve. So you would have mining songs, you know, a song like um, that uh, Merle Travis wrote, so Dark as a Dungeon or 16 Tons. This is a, a man who was supposed to be a miner and he wrote songs like a, somebody who was in that world. But then then you'd have a, a, a song come out called Which Side Are We On? Now we're talking unions. We're talking the miners and the mining uh, owners destroying the union. And they're saying, which side are you on? Are you, you know, will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? You know, and stand up to these uh, unions busting, uh, union busting companies that run these mines. So, you know, the folk music has this, ability to, to move out ahead. In this new album that I've done, I've done a song about uh, George Floyd. I'm very proud of this song because really we are nothing like we were in the 1960s. Uh, we are a bunch of self-satisfied, uh, rich people, basically. We have everything. And the, mo the thing that we do in America most is virtue signal. I am the most virtuous, <laughs> you know, and you're not, you know, and this and that, you know. But when it comes to, you know, putting your ass on the line, which is what the Weavers did and what Seeger did, and, and actually supporting groups that want to make change, ah, that's, see, that's the reason I always disliked Peter, Paul, and Mary, because they were put together. They weren't a real group. And then they were real careful to never cross the line to where they would be blacklisted or anything, but always signal their virtue all the time. See, I don't like that. You know, all the ones that were really uh, great, whether it was uh, Paul Robeson or Josh White or, or Seeger, they, they, they had their asses kicked, you know, because they, they did cross over the line 
because over the line is where all the action is, you know. And so, getting back to American Pie, then, as we said, it's the 50th anniversary. Um, You've got a a big tour. You've already done a a number of dates in the US. You're back on the tour on the road again in the US from April and then through May, June, and then into Europe. You're coming to the UK, aren't you? You've got something like 16 or 17 dates here in the UK before heading to Scandinavia. I mean, what can people expect from this 50th anniversary tour if they haven't already seen it yet? Well, there's going to be songs from a new album, which by that time will be out. There'll be songs from other albums that are recent. There'll be songs from the ones that everybody knows. There'll be all the songs that everybody loves. Of course, I wouldn't do a tour without doing Vincent and American Pie and the Mountains <laughs> of Morn and Every Day and so many songs that they know. Um, you know, and so it's 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 always different and always the same. Good way of putting it. And are you looking forward to coming over to to Europe to play in front of the audiences here? You know, I always am. It's almost like a second home to me. I've been doing it since 1972. So almost 50 years I've been coming to the UK and uh, I've seen some lovely things. I've seen Glasgow, Scotland uh, become a beautiful city again. I've seen Belfast become a beautiful city again. I sang in Belfast in 1975 and 76 and there was all sorts of razor wire and guns pointing at me and you know, tanks in the streets. And now it's a beautiful, beautiful city. And, you know, give peace a chance. This is a a great, great, great phrase because just let people have some peace and they won't want that other stuff. You know, they won't want that other stuff. You got to give peace a chance. It's a beautiful, beautiful phrase, and it's a beautiful way to end the interview. Thank you very much, Don, for for joining us here on the Vintage Rock Pod. And the best way to keep in touch with everything that's going on with you is on your social media, on your website as well, donmclean.com. Yeah, oh boy, I'm a, I'm a big social media boy now. Yeah, so for sure. Excellent. Nice to talk to you, man. Really good. And a big thanks to Don McLean there for being on the program. It really is great to get so many big name guests here on the series. If this is your first listen to Vintage Rock Pod, then please do go back and check out the previous 70 or so episodes. I've all got fascinating guests on there who tell great stories, all different genres from the 80s hair metal bands right back to the 60s, kind of early rock stuff. We've got some uh, prog rockers in there. We've got some metal stuff. We've got some radio rock, everything you can think of, really, anything 60s, 70s or 80s with the guitar in your hand then I've probably interviewed someone that you will like so definitely go back and check them out if you're a regular listener then you'll have listened to most of them and I thank you very much and I really do appreciate your support and to be honest with you I'd love it if you could uh, leave a five star review wherever you listen to this podcast I know that Apple and iTunes let you do it Spotify now lets you give a five star rating as well Uh, and there's other apps as well like Podcast Addict and Good Pods and things like that that also allow reviews and ratings too it's a really great way to help the show gather momentum and organically move up the charts so if you could spare just two minutes just just two i'd be very grateful in fact just do it now just get on your phone uh, anyway right it's the time of the show where i do the top fives and don't forget you can see all these top fives in one place on spotify there's a playlist that's been compiled and updated weekly by paul graham thanks to him uh, just search for vintage rock pod top fives on spotify and you can give that a follow there's close to 22 hours worth of songs in that list now some fantastic stuff you can just hit shuffle and enjoy the brilliant music 
music. So this week, it's a chance to offer up my five songs from Don McLean. Now, although he's kind of more folk and country rather than rock, he does have a great catalogue of well-known songs to choose from. So here is my personal favourite list. It's the songs that I enjoy the most. It's subjective, so it's okay for you to disagree. So here we go. My favourite five songs from Don McLean, according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a track from his debut album. In fact, it was his debut single release. It's a very autobiographical song about a a man giving up the city life that he's grown weary of and looks for a woman with similar feelings. At number five is Castles in the Air. And if she asks you why, you can tell her that I told you that I'm tired of castles in the air. I've got a dream. I want the world to at four is a song from his 1988 album, Love Tracks. This one not written by him and is country tinged, but it's really upbeat and a good song too. At number four is You Can't Blame the Train. And you stay on the tracks, ignoring the facts. Well, you can't blame the wreck on the train. No, you can't blame the wreck on the train. At three is the opening track on his third album, 1972's Don McLean. This one is a much bigger production backed by an orchestra and is delivered in a more bombastic way than his other well-known songs. At three is Dreidel. And at two for me is his signature tune. It's the one everyone knows. It's the poem set to music. It's a reflection on so many huge events in history. It's iconic. At two is American Pie. We were singing bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye. Singing, this will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die. And at number one is a song from the American Pie album, a favourite of rapper Tupac. It was a number one hit in the UK, and when I presented a radio show called Sounds of the 70s, well, about 15 years or so ago, I used to try and get this on the playlist as often as I could. It's a beautiful song and a beautiful melody. My favourite Don McLean song, and the number one on my list is Vincent. Starry, starry night Paint your palette blue and grey Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills There you go, my favourite five songs from Don McLean. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that list. Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Let me know your top fives. Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, and I'll give you a mention on next week's episode. So that's it for this week's show, though. Thanks very much for listening. Next week's guest, I tell you, is from a band that had an incredible situation arise, where they had a number one single in the US and in the UK at the same time, but it was with two different songs. Now, I'm not sure that's ever been done before or since, has it? Mm, Worth checking out. Anyway, it's the founding member of a group hailed as the inspiration for the likes of Iggy Pop and the Ramones, and whose song was covered in the 90s, resulting in a monstrous number one that stayed at the top of the UK chart for 15 weeks. Expect lots of great stories from the 60s on next week's episode. So, until episode 57, then remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 